Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13 down through verse 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, two weeks ago, we began a, a new series on the marks of a healthy church. And um, real quick on the graphic as well, I know David explained the graphic, but on my perspective, when I made the graphic, I don't want you to think that we put the chapel there to, because it is a healthy church and we want to compare everybody else against us. That's not the intent of that. The intent is to pick on ourselves and not on other people. It's easy to, to try to pick on other people and, and thereby you know, set up a straw man to make yourself feel good. But that, the idea is is not to be questioning other churches, but to be questioning ourselves to, to make sure that we are actually exhibiting marks of a healthy church. And if we're not exhibiting the marks of a healthy church or a biblical church from that perspective, a New Testament biblical church, then we want to what? We want change. I mean, it's, it's like your body, right? I mean, if, if, you know, right now my knee is starting to hurt a little bit more, age. You know, every decade something else happens, right? And so... So if it continues, that means there's going to be a, a need for a what? A change in my diet and my, my other things in order to, to focus on that part of it. And so if there are things that are wrong, you want to make sure that you change, that you, you focus on those things that are proper. And that's the same thing for us. And so um, we um, begin then two weeks ago from Acts chapter 2, which most people would consider the beginning of the foundation of the church, the day of Pentecost when the, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, the, the disciples. And so we began there, and David began to present the foundation and then the building blocks, if you would, of the church. And the foundation, we're told very clearly, is Christ Jesus. And then we went into Acts 4 because there are similar building blocks that are stated there as well. Um, and so we talked specifically there about prayer and fellowship, though prayer and fellowship were also a part of the passage in Acts chapter 2. And so David kind of went back and forth at that point, back and forth. I, over the years, have um, likened, to me, the early church into in our, the armada of the church, if you would. And that is having the four ships of the church. There is worship, fellowship, discipleship, and stewardship. And so worship is, for us then, exalting God, worshiping, praising God for who he is and what he has done. Discipleship is the the sharing and training, equipping of others in the teachings of that Messiah. So if, uh, of that God, we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but 
discipleship then includes the concept of evangelism, okay? The evangelism is the first step, again, we'll talk about that in a moment, is the first step of discipleship. And so discipleship, the third one, fellowship, and that David talked about well last week when he talked about how we join in a common venture. And he talked about the, the folks at his work, how they have a common venture of a boat, and how they join in that and, and all those things. And so we have a common venture. Our common venture is what? Say again? Following the Christ, okay? That we follow, we worship, and we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And his, we seek to then expand his kingdom and his righteousness, okay? Stewardship, then, is when I am given a, a task, and I want to make sure I read this from, from what I have, the conducting, supervising, or managing of something entrusted to one's care. It's not mine. It's somebody else's. But it's been entrusted to me. And so we manage, conduct, and use it for the... the the, the glory, if you would, of the one who bestowed that trust upon us, okay? And so in my brain, um, since I'm very, um, what do you call it, um, outline-oriented, okay, it's easy for me to put things under these four, okay? And so it may, may or may not help you, but you're going to see that these four are going to come into play. Then as I, I, I look at Matthew chapter 16, last week, um, or two weeks ago, um, David shared about the foundation of the church being Jesus Christ, and that he quoted then from uh, Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as well, that no other foundation has been laid, but that which has been laid, and that is Christ Jesus. And so going on in that passage, we're told then that whatever we lay then, we have to lay upon that foundation, and we're told that whatever we lay, whether it's wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones, it's going to be tried as by fire in the day. Okay? And if it's wood, hay, and stubble that we're building upon that foundation, it's going to be burnt up and gone. If it's gold, silver, precious stones, metals, then it's going to stand the test of time, and, and we'll be rewarded for that when we get to heaven. But there is this foundation, and that is about Christ Jesus. Today, we want to kind of transition backwards then into the time of Christ, into the teachings of Jesus, because Jesus himself is that foundation. And it wasn't something that came as a result of his death but rather it was something that he, as God, had been planning before the foundations of the world were laid. That this wasn't a matter of, oh, no, the Jews have more power over me, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to die, and so, well, let's come up with a new plan while we're resurrected, and, oh, let's come up with a church, because now we don't have Israel on our side. We've got to come up with this idea of the church. So the church was already in his mind when he was came, coming to the earth and when he was choosing his apostles, his 12 disciples, who became apostles, 11 of them became apostles, and when he did that. Context, okay? So we're going to jump into this passage right now, and the first thing we want to look at is then context of Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. What's the context? Well, I want to go back to chapter 13, coming all the way up, okay? And this is brief, just not a whole here other than it's a graphic from when we went through the book of Matthew, okay? And so I just brought it over because it's easy for us to do, okay? So beginning at Matthew 13, Jesus is beginning to teach the parables, okay? And um, he teaches the parables, and then from there, he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. That's his hometown. What happens at the synagogue in Nazareth? Anybody remember? What happens in Nazareth? He's rejected, Rejected by his own people. They try to throw him off the, the precipice, right? And he walks through them, okay? And so from there then, he goes back up, okay? Up into the Bethsaida area, and he feeds the 5,000. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But feeds the 5,000. And what was remaining after the feeding the 5,000? 
12 baskets, okay? 12, 12 baskets of leftovers is kind of an exciting thing. There was more leftovers than there was originally, okay? So there was 12 baskets, okay? And then from there, he goes over into the um, Gennesaret area, in this area, and he has the accusation of the scribes. Why about, why do the, 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 your disciples don't follow the traditions of men? And so we get into that whole area. So a debate with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And then we have the healing of the Gentile daughter. See, he goes from here, and now he makes a big trip. And he goes up into Tyre, Sidon. And up in Tyre and Sidon, he heals the Phoenician woman's daughter. Okay, remember, that's a big one because she says, he says, it's not right to give the, the things of the children to the dogs. And she says, oh, but Lord, even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps. What a phenomenal act of faith. Okay, so from there, so he, he heals then this um, Gentile woman's daughter up here. But then look, look what he does. He travels all the way up here, this is important to note. We'll come back to this in a moment because that's we know in Matthew 16, that's where we're at. Okay? But he skirts Caesarea Philippi. Okay? And so these are the roads that would have been used back in those days. Okay? And he comes all the way down to King's Highway, and he comes into the area of the Decapolis. The Decapolis is the area of the ten cities. Okay? They were Gentile cities. So note, he was up here in a Gentile area, and then he comes down into the Decapolis. And in the Decapolis, we see the feeding of the 4,000. Does anybody remember what happened at the end of the feeding of the 4,000? Seven baskets were, were there. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Okay? But there's seven baskets that, that are remaining after that one. Okay? And so then from there, he comes over into just north of Tiberias. Okay, and there the, the, the Jews, after seeing all the signs that he's providing, the Jews say what? Show us a sign and, 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 and we'll believe you. And it's like, what have we just missed in the rest of this map? Okay, and this is only three chapters worth. Okay, I mean, we could go back and see all the stuff that he did before chapter 13. But this is just three chapters worth, okay? And so from there, he goes across the sea, over back over to the Bethsaida, and along the, the, in the boat, along the way, he warns his disciples regarding the leaven of the scribes, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The leaven of the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees, Pharisees is legalism, the Sadducees is licentiousness. And so he says, be careful of that, be careful of, of lording it over somebody, okay, and making laws for yourself that are on top of the word of God, but also be careful of not l- listening to the word of God and saying that the word of God is nothing, okay? So you, there's a balance that's in there that Jesus is teaching. Now from here, from Bethsaida, we know coming into today, he travels now up into Caesarea Philippi, which is also referred to as Pania and Banias, okay? We'll talk about that in just one moment, okay? But still sticking with the context of Matthew, okay? Did you note anything in this whole listing of the things that Jesus did? There's a division. Note the blue, note the red. The blue is when he was ministering to who? The Jews, Israel. The red is when he's ministering to the Gentiles. The Messiah came not to only be the Messiah to the Jews. He was born a Jew. He was come to be the Messiah to the Jews. But he also came to give light to those who are living in darkness. He came as Messiah to the whole world. Okay? And that's what we're going to come into today, we're gonna, where, we, where we drop into this now, because now he's, he's talked to the Jews, okay? much more stuff, and so we come back into this feeding of the 5,000. Why was it important that there were 12 leftover baskets? 12 tribes. That's exactly right. So there was one for every tribe. Why then seven baskets when the feeding of the 4,000 in the Decapolis? Nope, not seven cities. There was 10 cities. Decapolis, 10 cities. Nice try, though. Nope, not perfection. 
So I'm going to go back to Daniel, or Daniel, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Go back to Deuteronomy 7. So 7, I love 7, right? Deuteronomy 7. Go back to Deuteronomy 7. Where's the, where's the mic at over here? Daniel Tiger, not Daniel Tiger. It's Daniel the prophet. But we're not talking about him either, okay? Ah, okay, Brian, what you got to say? For the, you want me to read it? Yep. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. Okay, so when it went into the land, God was going to deliver then into their hand seven nations who were mightier than they were, okay? And so now he's there in the Decapolis. He's in the, the land of the Gentiles, okay? Into the land, if you would, of these seven nations, okay? And so again, Christ Messiah is, is showing that he is not only the Messiah for the, Gentile, for the Jews, but he's also going to be for the, the whole world, even the seven nations, okay? And so it's this amazing thing as he comes through this, okay? But now he's going to take them up into Caesarea Philippi, which is also referred to as Pania and Banias, okay? This is an amazing thing, okay? So think of the most pagan spot right now that you can come up with. Think of the most religiously pagan spot that you can come up with. Some place where they're going to get together and they're going to worship all their pagan gods. Okay, you got it? Now you got Caesarea Philippi. Now you got Pania and Banias. Okay? And so this was a, clearly an artistic rendering of it. There was no pictures back then. Nobody had the, the etching of it. Okay? So, but this is the idea of it. Okay? And there were going to be these grottos. And so we have then, it's still existent there today. You can go there and you can look at it. The grottos are still there where they would have their images of their gods. Okay? Because remember as Paul went on Mars Hill, the Areopagus, right? And he, there was, he says, you guys are a religious people. You got all your gods everywhere, ever. But you even got, a, you even got one to an unknown god. You, I mean, you got one that's standing there to the unknown god because we, we figured there's got to be one that we don't know. I want to talk to you about the, the unknown god. Okay, well, that's the concept that's going on here in, in, in this area. Now, Caesarea Philippi, Pania or Beneus, we'll talk about it in a moment, was sitting at the base of Mount Hermon. Okay, Mount Hermon, see, and so you don't necessarily get this, but he goes into the region, we're told in Matthew 16, he goes into the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is also, if you continue on in Matthew 16, okay, and further on, this is where the, uh, the um, Mount of Transfiguration is. He goes up into Mount Hermon for the Transfiguration. There are many people who want to say that's Mount Tabor. It's just so ridiculous, okay, and I don't mean to be rude there, but that's just, I mean, Mount Tabor was, was, was not... Uh, it was had people, residents, all over it, and it's not very high at all. And so it's just because Mount Tabor was able to fit along the, the, the journeys of the Catholic Church, nothing personal against Catholics, um, so that they could have another place where they could take your money. Anyways, so um, it's kind of hard to get up on top of Mount Hermon. So anyways, along a program journey. So, but anyways, so he's there, okay? And so this is how it's going to play out. But Mount Hermon was a very, very religious mountain. It was seen to be one by, um, by many others. Okay? It was called a mountain of snow or a, sh- a mountain of shield because they would look up and they would see the, 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 like the shininess of the, of the sun and it would be like the, the armor that you would be wielding, like the breastplate. And so they would call it like the mountain breastplate you know, because from that reason. But the idea is that it, because it was the highest mountain in the area, okay. and what do you remember from the Old Testament? Where did people worship God? They worshiped on the... 
the high places, okay? Well, um, if you ever saw Little House in the Prairie and Jimmy and I know you're listening, and so you get this one right away. So the Lord is my shepherd, okay? It was a two-part uh, Little House in the Prairie one. And so um, they're going to have a son, and, and Laura doesn't want them to have a son because she knew that if they had a son, he would steal the favor of, of, of Pa, right? And so she didn't want to have it. Then the little boy died. And it devastated Pa and Ma. And so Laura was really upset. And she realized, she thought, she thought, she thought that it was all because of her, because of her negativity, if you would, toward having a son. And so she went and talked to, um, no, 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 before that, before Ernest Virgo 9, um, uh, the parson. Anyways, and he's, say again, Reverend Alden. And she goes to talk to Reverend Alden, and, and he says, well, you know, she's talking about how to get close to God. And he says, well, you, you just want to get close to God, you know, as close as you can, and God will hear you. And so she's thinking, well, the, how much closer can I get than going up high? And so she finds the highest peak in her area, and she travels to it to go up. And yes, she, Ernest Borgnine becomes the angel. What a beautiful, I mean, have you ever seen Ernest Borgnine and other things? To see Ernest Borgnine say, my child, my child. It's just beautiful. Anyways, um, it was just, it was glorious. Anyways, but, but that's the, that we think that way, okay? That's, it, that's why it even plays out in Michael Landon's version of The Lord is My Shepherd, because when we think of that, we want to get close to God, we think we've got to go, we've got to ascend into higher areas, okay? And so, again, in Nepal, with the, the mountains that are there and, the, and the, the, the swamis and everything that we want to ascend into the mountains to get closer to God. So, Mount Hermon became a very religious area in paganism, okay? In fact, it was where, um, it's even mentioned in the Gilgamesh epic, okay? It is where, in the uh, book of Enoch, chapter 6, where the, the guardians theoretically come down and they make a pact in order for them to go in and to, to, um, to uh, impregnate the, the, the daughters of men, okay? And so... Um, so all of this is playing out. You need to understand, the Jewish people understood this too. Okay? So we talked about this before about the book of Enoch. Though it may not be scripture, the Jewish people understood the book of Enoch. Okay? And they, it, was, it was contemporary in their time. Okay? And so they understood the significance of where they were coming. Now, it's called um, Pania. We'll start there for a moment. Pania and Banias. Pania because there was a grotto for the Roman gods as well. The Roman god Pan. Pan was the god of the wild. Okay, and just and just think orgies and everything else, and that was the God who was there. Okay, and that symbolized everything that was going on that was there. I mean, so even when you have the um, the Book of Enoch, with the, the 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 guardians or the watchers, whatever, who come down in order to, to to procreate with the daughters of men. Okay, it was all about the the fertility stuff. Makes sense. I mean, it's just so. Anyways, so this is that place that Jesus is bringing his guys to. Okay, and so. And so they come there, and so um, why does it become Caesarea Philippi? Well, um, the Romans also worshipped Caesar. They also worshipped Caesar. Caesar was a god to them. And so, along with all the other grottos, along with all the other gods, Herod Philip chose to dedicate, then, this area to Caesar. The problem is that there was already another Caesarea. It was down on the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, that's where Herod Agrippa dies later, okay, when he calls him, or people call him God, and he, re, he receives their, their glory, and he winds up, the worm eats him and dies. And so, so this becomes then Caesarea of Philip, if you would. Does it make sense? Okay. So this is a pagan spot that Jesus is coming to. So you got this whole concept then of Israel, Judaism, 
Jesus is teaching them, okay, about God, about Yahweh. And then he comes and he begins to present the truth to the Gentiles, okay? And now he comes to, if you would, in his region, what would be the heart of worldly religion. Does that make sense? Does it track with you on that one? Okay, paganism, okay? And so he comes right into this area. And so we come then from the context... And he asked the guys, he says, who do, you, who do men say that I am? Okay, the first question. Who do men say that I am? Well, they give him a response. They say John the Baptist. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah the prophet. Now, John the Baptist, where did that one actually originate from? Does anybody remember? Who started that one? Herod. Yeah, so we went back to those things. Remember, just before the feeding of the 5,000, Herod had killed, Herod Philip had beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. Good, okay, all right. And so, but Herod was superstitious. He didn't want John being 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 killed, and so he felt that after he was beheaded, and all of a sudden Jesus comes comes on the scene, that Jesus is just the the um, reincarnation, the resurrection of John the Baptist, right? Well, he wasn't clearly. We know that, okay. But that's what he thinks. Elijah, where does Elijah come from? Why is Elijah important? Why would they think that Jesus is Elijah? He never died. Elijah must come before Messiah. They were expecting Elijah to come, and so they thought he was Elijah because he was doing, think about it, John the Baptist never did what? Never did miracles. He never did signs and wonders. All John the Baptist ever did was proclaim truth. Okay, think about that. Okay, no fire coming out of his mouth, no everything else, okay? So Jesus comes, and Jesus starts to do miracles just like Elijah did. So some thought, well, he's Elijah. Even though they declared very clearly, in like John 1 we read, when they asked John, well, who are you then? If you're not the Messiah, who are you? He says, I'm the one preparing the way of Yahweh, right? So he declared who he was. Isaiah 40 was a direct quote from Isaiah 40. But they missed that. And so, um, so Jesus said that, People say, well, what what about Elijah? And he says, I told you, Elijah's come. Elijah's already come. It was John. He's already come. You just were expecting something different. Okay? And so so some thought he was Elijah. Some said Jeremiah or another prophet. Okay? Because they couldn't come up with it. You know, the thing about it is, who is this guy? And all of a sudden, he's able to do all these wonderful things. Okay? And so, so they didn't know who he was. So Jesus then turns around and then asks them the question. And that's the title of the message. Because this is the most important point. Who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? Okay, that's what the world says. Oh, wait, wait, before I go to there, okay, I'm going to bring it into today. Because we have the same question today. People are asking the question today. So here we go. The Son God who was born of the sinless Queen of Heaven. Who do men say that I am? Some say that you are the this, this Son God who was born of the Queen of Heaven. The sinless Queen of Heaven. Who says that? Who says that? The Catholics. This is the Catholic doctrine. That Mary is, is Queen of Heaven, and she has given birth to the Son God. I could have put S-U-N God there instead of S-O-N God. Okay? That's why on Christmas cards, whenever you look at a Christmas card, you have this glow behind Mary and this glow behind the baby Jesus, but you don't have the glow around Joseph. That is not a halo. That is the sun, S-U-N, that's behind them. Because um, uh, Constantine began a practice... Um, who was the first pope? We'll talk about that, that in just a moment, okay? But Constantine 
began a practice of amalgamation between the paganism and, and the church, okay? And so in his day, in his realm, they had those who were worshiping the S-U-N and those who were worshiping the S-O-N, and so he began to amalgamate them together, okay? I don't have time to get into all that right now, but um, it's Christian mythology. Mary goes all so in Christian mythology, if you would, and again, not picking on Catholicism, just speaking what is true, okay? That it goes all the way back to uh, Ishtar, okay? who was the, 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 the queen of heaven, who gives birth to Tammuz. And so you can bring us all the way through Assyrian mythology, all the way through Grecian mythology, all the way through uh, Roman mythology, and you bring it over into uh, Christian mythology. Okay, And that's why you have St. Christopher medals. That's just Mercury um, or Hermes. Um, it goes, goes all the way back through. There's gods for traveling mercies and, and all this kind of stuff. And so when you have all these St. Jews and everything else, they go back to other gods. Okay, So don't have time for it, but... The son of God who was born of the sinless queen of heaven. How about the spirit brother of Satan who became a god? The spirit brother of Satan who became a god. Mormons, uh, the, the, saint, the Latter-day Saints, Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. It's not my Jesus. And so, um, but he's the spirit brother of, of Satan, okay, who became a god. And you can become a god just like he became a god. You were eternally existent just waiting for a body. God gave you a body and now you can become a god. Okay, that's what they believe. They're going to tell you at the door that they, have, that they worship Jesus too. It's not the same Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. How about the incarnation of Michael, the archangel? He's the incarnation of Michael, the archangel. Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses. That's exactly what they believe. Okay? Again, not my Jesus. Do you understand? Who do men say that I am? Well, that's just three who claim to be what? Christians. And if you're in the military, they lump the Mormons with Christianity, okay? So if you're looking for a Christian chaplain, you may wind up coming upon one of these guys, a Catholic, a Mormon, or Jehovah Witness. Probably not Jehovah Witness because they wouldn't be in the military, but you get what I'm saying. If they were there, they, okay? You, this is what you can walk in on. I, I want to, you know, so you say, well, I want a Catholic or I want a Protestant. Well, these guys would be lumped in in Protestantism. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Okay, so... But Jesus then asked the question, and that's where we want to go, and that is, who do you say that I am? Peter opens up his mouth. I love Peter. Peter is brash, opens up his mouth, whether he's right or wrong. I mean, he's just out there. You know what Peter's thinking, okay? And so Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. The one we're what? Expecting. You are the son of the living God. This is a powerful statement. Remember again the context of where they're at. They're in a place where there are what? Multiple gods, or at least grottoes to multiple gods. But he comes back with a statement. You are the son of what? The living God. Not the dead gods. Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 48, Yahweh is speaking over and over and over again, and he declares within it there is no other God but him. He alone was God. There was no God before him, and neither shall there ever be any created after him. He alone is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He alone has spread the heavens as it is. There is none that are like him. Who would you compare to him? Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 48 is just a marvelous passage when it comes to this. But in it, he is the living God. He is not an idol. He's not a work made by hands. That's why they weren't allowed to make idols. That's why they weren't allowed to make carved images in order to represent him. He never gave a statement that they couldn't just make a carved That art itself was wrong. But when art became the object of their worship, it becomes what? It becomes wrong, okay? And so um, 
yeah, I don't want to go there. You, anyways, you, but you, you get it, how it plays out. But, but Peter comes out with this marvelous statement. You're the Messiah. I mean, how, how, how can you be otherwise? You are matching up everything with what the Old Covenant has taught us that we should be expecting. And then he goes on and adds that next statement. You're the son of the living God. Now, for those who understood the, the Old Covenant, they understood that Messiah would actually be that. that and so Isaiah chapter 48, Yahweh declares, and now uh, Yahweh Adonai in his Ruach have sent me. Yahweh declares that he would be sent. Zechariah chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 4, Yahweh declares that he would be sent by Yahweh himself and, and he would come and live in their midst. He declares in Isaiah, uh, Zechariah chapter 12, I think it is, he says that when he comes again the second time, that they, everybody, they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only begotten son. So there, there's this evidence, not even talking about Isaiah 53, okay, um, that they would understand. But Peter was who? A fisherman. He wasn't a scholar. Do you understand? And so Jesus responds to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for you only know this because why? Because the Father has revealed it to you. The Father has revealed it to you. Now, I believe, and I'm not saying you don't, but understand presenting a case. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. The verse, what? All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of what? The truth. And in our day, that has been split out because it's the word fellow, which you can translate fellow into a wish or desire. But it's not as bulamai or as bule, his decreed will. And so that's only his wish, that's only his desire, but that's not his decreed will. But his decreed will is only to save some. It doesn't play out that way. If you go to Romans chapter 9, I don't have time for that today, okay? But if you go to Romans chapter 9, the word thelo and the word bule or bulamai are used interchangeably when it's talking about the will of God. It is God's will, his desire for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why when Jesus left, he said, it's profitable for you, for me to leave. For when I leave, I will send you who? The Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. And he's going to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin. Do you get it? The job of the Holy Spirit is to convict men of sin and lead them into what? truth. Do you believe that? Now, here's the deal. I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing that throughout the entire earth with every single individual on the face of the earth. That's mind-boggling to me. I can't imagine being Peter in the others in, in the day when 3,000 people were saved. I gotta know 3,000 people now? I mean, I'm having a hard time remembering 120 people, you know? And now also I got 3,000 additional people and you want me to remember your name tomorrow. God knows. Eight billion people. There's about seven point something or other billion people living today. 
And he knows every single one of them. He knows the number of hairs on their head. And he is interacting with them. Isn't that mind-boggling? Now, I don't know how he's doing it, but I know he's doing it. Because they can't come to the knowledge apart from him revealing himself. You only know this because the Father's revealed it. God is revealing himself, whether it's through creation. Romans chapter 1 is very clear that, that, that the, the wrath of God is being poured out upon men because they have exchanged the glory of his crea- the creator for the creation itself. That I don't know what the individual in the tribe in Africa or South America or wherever, okay, you can just take whatever remotest part you can think of, what they know and what they don't know. But what I do know is that God is revealing himself to them and they are accountable for whatever he's revealed to them. Do you track? And when they get to heaven and they stand before the throne, they're not going to be given an account for what I know. They're going to give an account for what God has revealed. Are you tracking? Okay. So, do you believe? Think about this. Do you believe that everybody has an account, is accountable to respond to the revelation that God has given to them? And that your God is gracious and loving and that he is revealing himself. Jesus, 1 John chapter 2, is not only the propitiation for my sins, but he's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. I don't get it, but I don't have to because I'm not God. I just have to know what he's declared. What a great God I serve. And if I get there and I find out there are people there that I'm thinking, there ain't no way, you know, I'm going to rejoice in my Lord because he's God of grace. But we may get there, and we're going to see this in a moment. Get there and find out there are people there that we thought were going to be there, but aren't going to be there. Hmm, that's scary too. So who do you say I am? Well, let's come back to then to two of those points, okay? How does this then apply? Because we're talking about marks of the healthy church, church, okay? So bring it back. How does this apply out? Well, God desires to be worshipped in truth, in spirit and in truth. Jesus said to the woman in Samaria, he said that, the, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor worship in Jerusalem. Worship, you worship, or in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Important statement. Jesus just declared that the God of the Samaritans was what? What did he say? It was false. The true God is the God of who? The Jews. Okay? Don't miss it. He's defining something here. Okay? Knowing the truth is important to God. He wants you to worship in spirit and in truth. Truth is critical. Doctrine is important. And we're going to talk about doctrine in a moment with discipleship, but the fact is that doctrine is also part of worship because he wants to be worshipped in truth. And so you say, well, I'm going to worship a rock. Well, you can, but it's not him. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Do you know what that, don't let that stop, run past you either. The Father's what? Which means what? They're hard to find. He's looking for people to worship him in spirit and truth. There's a whole lot of people worshiping him. But they're not worshiping in what? Spirit and truth. Now, again, I'm not saying we are. But pump, 
We need to be asking ourselves, are we? Because it's not my standard. It's not our standard. It's whose standard? It's God's standard. And if we're not worshiping according to his standards and spirit and truth, then we need to change. We need to be willing to change. I don't want this tradition stuff. This is the way we've always done it. I've always sat on the right side. Don't do that to me sometimes, though. You know, when you switch sides, it's kind of, kind of rough. Because I'm, I go to look, and it's like, oh, they're not here today. Anyways, so, but no, good. Switch it up. Switch up where you sit. Make people sit someplace else. It really caused problems. I remember that we always sat in the first pew growing up. Always first pew. Until one day, my dad had a burr. Don't know something different when he woke up or whatever, but he decided we were going to go sit up in the balcony that day. In the first row in the balcony, still first row, but up in the balcony. In fact, no, we might have been the second row back. I don't know. It was just really kind of weird that day. Anyways, and so we went up in the balcony, but it was the back part of the balcony, not the side of the balcony, so then everybody could see us when we came in. But we were sitting up in the back part, and it's kind of like an L. I know you never saw St. Mark's, but that's okay. I'll forgive you. And so, um, so we're sitting up there, and, but the fun part is we're always early. If you're on time, you're late. Just, just okay? We're always early, okay? And so, so we're there. And then we watch people come in. It's okay for a while because they're sitting in their spots. Until someone came up top to sit in their spot. And their spot was what? Occupied. And, and they stood there for a while looking at us. Like, what do they do? And then what do they do? I had to go find, finally sit someplace else. My dad was a Marine sergeant. He wasn't moving anyplace. And so... And so... And I, I don't remember, I don't, I recollect this moment, but I don't recollect, recollect whether there was any looking tensions, although there was some down below, and I'll tell you about it in a moment. Um, so anyways, so you can see how the, it starts to the flow, right? Well, anyways, people are starting to sit in other people's spots, but the first row was still empty because that was the Corbin's spot. They didn't know that the Corbins were actually causing this, this cataclysmic moment. And uh, the vision in the church all came from a changing of a church, uh, the seat. Anyways. But finally, someone came down, and somebody was sitting in somebody else's spot, and, and like words were spoken. Oh yeah, oh maybe that's the reason my dad did it. Maybe he wanted to find out who was real. Anyway, so um, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Look, we got to be careful, right? We want to worship in truth, not in tradition. There's nothing wrong with traditions, unless traditions trump truth. Does that make sense? It ought to become a tradition for us to follow what? Truth. So, I mean, just put it in that way, okay? So, so he says, we want to be worshipped in spirit and truth, okay? Matthew 7, then, he says, then, therefore, as a result of that, what? Beware of false prophets. Why? Because they're going to come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruit. By their fruits you'll know them. Right? And he says to me, and he says, then, he says, and many are going to come to me in that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, shall, um, because they're going to come and enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done wonders, wonders in your name? And I'm going to say, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not everyone who comes to Jesus, stating the name Jesus, we're going to talk about one more verse, okay, is necessarily a believer. And this is talking about who? False what? False prophets. People who are declaring to have the word of God. People who are declaring the word of God. But aren't. There are many false prophets in the day of Jeremiah. 
He was one of the few that were standing for truth. But there were many prophets, all declaring the word of Yahweh, but not truthfully. They were false, they were deceptive. 2 Corinthians 11 then, Paul says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For someone may come in with another Jesus. Do you get it? Another Jesus. Meaning it's not the what? The same. But they're using the name what? Jesus. They may come in with another spirit. Oh, no, another spirit? You mean there's more? Yes, that's why John said, test the spirits. And they may come in with another gospel. Well, we've already talked about, you know, the Catholics, the Mormons, and the, and the Jehovah Witnesses. But the reality is that get rid of those three easy-to-pick-on ones, right? Get rid of the straw man. Now bring it back into to where we're at. You all ought to be criticized. Not, not criticized. Not, not negatively. But you need to be critical thinkers. Anytime anybody speaks in this assembly. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not Peter, John, or James. I want to know truth, and I want to teach truth. James 3, 1 says, Be not many masters or teachers, for such have the greater condemnation. I get that. I get that. And, and I want to never forget that. Because I'm going to give an account for everything I teach, for every word I speak that's here. I get it. And too many times, Bob focuses on himself and not upon Christ. That's huge to me. But there's a potentiality. Because I'm a human. David's a human. Chuck's a human. Steve is human. Yeah. And I'm just picking on the four of us. Because we're all going to speak in the course of this series, right? That we could say something what? Erroneous. <gasps> Did I say that out loud? Maybe it's just not exactly accurate. What's the difference between erroneous and not exactly accurate? <laughs> just the word. It's exactly the same. We want to think, well, it's just a shade off. No, it doesn't matter. A shade off is what Satan did with, with Eve in the garden. Do you get it? Okay. We want truth. Truth, 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 truth. Okay. I don't want to be that, um, that wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't believe I am. I pray, God, that I never wax cold in my love for him. But it's your job. On your side, it's your responsibility not to be led astray. Do you get it? Don't, don't be doing... Okay? You're a sheep. You're a dumb sheep. I'm a dumb sheep. That's okay. We're all following the ones, one, one master, right? But let him be your shepherd. And making sure that the under-shepherd who's standing in front of you is really following, following his orders. Are you tracking with that one? Okay. But he goes on, he says that someone preaches all these things, and he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. There are people in pulpits right now. There are a whole lot of churches meeting right now. Not all of them are tr worshiping the one true God, the living God. They don't have the, tr the right, the true Jesus. If the Jesus they're teaching is some other Jesus, they have a different spirit. They're not following the Holy Spirit of God, and they're teaching a different gospel. They're not teaching in truth. We'll talk about that again in a moment. But God wants to be worshipped then. Worshipped. 
to be praised, to be adored according to truth, not in the ways that we want to do it. Fellowship. In the same way, then, then we shouldn't be wanting to hang out with those who have a false doctrine. We shouldn't be wanting to hang out with those who don't have... So the, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, that's the easy, right? That's a, that's a quick, easy... Well, no, we're not going to have the, the fellowship with them. But how does that play out even further as we go on? Okay? We're talking about stewardship. This is where stewardship and fellowship kind of play together. Okay? Um, when we talk about what is a Baptist, and I know we're not Baptist technically, we're a Bible church, we're non-denominational, but we are Baptistic. I, I tell people we're Baptistic brethren, we're brethrenistic Baptists. I mean, it's kind of take a blend of the two of them and bring them together, I don't know. How do you describe us? But, but ones who are Baptistic, historically, you can use the word Baptist as an, as a, as an anagram for it, okay? They believe, Baptists believe, that the Bible is a sore authority of faith and practice, they believe in the authority of the local church. They believe in the priesthood of the believer. They believe that there are two ordinances, the, um, the Lord's Supper and um, baptism. They believe in individual soul liberty. They believe in the, the save regenerate church membership. They believe that there are two offices of the church, the spiritual office and the temporal office. Okay, so past, we say pastors and elders, elders, okay, and deacons. And then the last one, the S, the final S, is separation. Uh, Political separation, separation of the church and state. And then I'll skip to the third one, personal separation, separation of the individuals from, from sin and stuff like that. But the second one in the middle of those three separations is ecclesiastical separation. Separ- a church is separating from the apostasy of other churches. Do you understand? So that's separation, okay? We are Baptistic in those statements. Does it make sense? We hold. So those, those things I just declared, we hold to. We are Baptistic. Even though we're non-denominational, we are Baptistic in, in how we present things. And one of those things is that we do believe then in a separation, a s- ecclesiastical separation from that which is not true. Now, that's hard because, again, that's setting ourselves up, right? As saying that we have what? All truth. And we've got to be humble in that and be careful of that and understanding that we're what? We're sinners. And so we need to make sure that we honestly are humble, okay, genuinely humble, and that, so for example, when a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon comes to my door, I am willing, I really am willing to once more check my doctrine. If Jesus isn't God, I want to know it. Do you understand? I mean, if Mormonism is true, don't you want to be a Mormon? Don't say no. Because if you really want truth, if you really want what God wants, you want truth. And if Mormonism is true and what you got is wrong, you better want to be a Mormon. If Jehovah's Witness have the truth and what you got is wrong, you better want to be a Jehovah's Witness. Are you tracking with me? That's hard, isn't it? That's like, no. Be careful your traditions. Be careful your traditions. You want to know truth. I believe Jesus died on, the, on Thursday. I'll die for that. I didn't always believe that. I believe Jesus died on Friday. When, when God revealed to me through his word that he died on a Thursday, now you can believe what you want to believe. It doesn't really matter, okay? I'm not going to fight you on that. But when it came to that point where that's what I believed, man, that was cataclysmic for me. Not as cataclysmic it was for me to believe in Genesis 1, that God actually created in six 24-hour days. That was the, 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 the thing that brought me to full, full faith because I believed in evolution, okay? But now I grew up all my life having Good Friday, I had my first communion on Holy Thursday. I mean, what do I do with all this? I want to know what? Truth. 
So for real, this sounds awful. I mean, you're the pastor. What? What are you saying? If someone can prove to me that Mormonism is true and what I have is wrong, I'll become a Mormon. If someone can prove to me that Muhammad was the true prophet and, and that everything he declared was true, I'd become, a, I'd become Muslim. Track what I'm saying here. I want truth. Why? Because God wants me to come to the knowledge of truth. My aspiration is to know God fully. And he will reward those who diligently seek him. Now, I'm not saying I, I think all those things are wrong. But you get what I'm saying? That's the hard part because you're like, Ugh! but it's Jesus talking to the Pharisees. They weren't willing to yield. They wanted their traditions. They wanted what they believed, and they weren't willing to change. What, what do you want? Who do you say that I am? You better say you're the son of the living God, and I want to know what? All truth, okay? So what fellowship has righteousness to do with lawlessness? What communion has light to do with darkness? What accord has Christ to do with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? There is none. There is no agreement. There's no common ground. Do you get it? None. This applies to business. applies to marriages. It applies to churches. How are we doing with these marks of the church? So we're going to move quickly. Establishment of the church, because this is the part where it really goes, oh, no. Okay? Jesus then states that, blessed are you, Simon, because you only have this because of what's been given to you. And he says, he says, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That the establishment of the church would be founded upon a proper understanding of who Jesus is. So, you are Peter. I'm going to call you Peter. Peter is Petros, what? Rock in the Greek. But upon this rock, Petra, feminine. He calls Peter, Petros, masculine, and then he turns and uses the feminine. But upon this rock, feminine, and then he talks about the ecclesia, the church, which is feminine. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, what is that then if it's not Peter? Because it sounds like it may be going back to Peter. You're the rock, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And that's what the Catholic Church believes, that he's the first pope. But it doesn't make sense, because if he was saying that, he would have continued to use the masculine. Okay? But he doesn't. He changes to the feminine. And so he says, but upon this, well, what is it? It's faith. It's what... what Peter had just declared the true knowledge. What's true knowledge? You are Messiah, the son of the living God. This is what the church is going to be built upon. That is the core, what David already taught. That is the core understanding of it. Now, but I don't want to miss the part because now he's going to come back and he says um, to, to, to Peter, he says, um, and it will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We'll come back to that and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's still talking to who? Peter. It would be founded then upon the man of God's choosing. Think Moses. We need to be careful, because the Jews would go back, and they would look to who? Moses. And their faith would be in Moses. But Moses was only a vehicle. He was only a chosen vessel. Don't push Moses down. Moses... Is, is highly to be venerated from the not from from worshipped from that perspective, okay? But the fact is, God chose him. Do you understand? Okay, and he was a man after God's own heart, like David. Okay, he was a friend of God. 
He's one to whom Yahweh revealed himself to. He spoke to him face to face. I mean, that's pretty cool. I wouldn't mind being like Moses. But Moses didn't get to see the what? Promised land. Because Moses sinned. And Moses took the glory from God, from Yahweh. And he couldn't go in. Okay? But in the same manner, Yahweh chose, Jesus, Yahweh incarnate, chose to use Peter. Do you get it? He's like the Moses of the church. It's okay. Was there a dissension coming from Moses? Like the son of Moses became the next leader of Israel. No, not at all. Who became the Moses? Who became the Moses? Who became the leader after Moses died? Joshua. Any relationship there? Not at all. Moses was of Levi. Joshua was of Ephraim. Okay? And so, no relation there. It was only in the priesthood, okay, that there was the, 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 the descending hierarchy that was there. So, so, God chose to use Peter. It's really okay. Okay? And we're going to talk about this in a moment. But God chose to use Peter. We see that. It was Peter who then was the one who proclaimed the gospel all the way through. It was um, when you... When you real Jesus says you'll be witnesses to me in Samaria, in Judea, and, um, in Judea, and all, Jerusalem, and all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost of the parts of the world, he fulfilled that through Peter himself. It was there in Jerusalem that Peter preached. It was then in Acts chapter eight when they went to Samaria. Okay, when Philip went first and people were getting saved, but they didn't know about it. They didn't, they didn't know what was going on until they sent Peter and John. And when they went. And, and Peter and John went. Peter was the one that laid hands on them, and they received the Spirit, or the outpouring of the Spirit upon them, so that he could testify to the fact that the gospel actually spread. In Acts chapter 10, that's all about Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And he was told in a vision by an angel to go send for Simon, the son of Jonah, who was saying with Simon the tanner in Joppa, right? And so he goes there, and he, and he, says, and he says, come. And so it's while he's speaking to Cornelius, right? Cornelius, the Holy Spirit falls upon him. And so Acts 15, at the Council of Jerusalem, right, they're, they're, they got Barnabas and Paul under the grill, okay, because of their ministry to the Gentiles. And Peter's the one who stands up in the midst of them and says, whoa, 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 you guys, stop! Didn't you realize it was me? It was through me that God chose to do this. God opened up the gospel to the Gentiles through me, to Cornelius. Remember that, guys? Some of you all were with me. Do you remember that was knocking our socks off that we weren't supposed to be in the house of that Gentile? And while we're in the house of the Gentile, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they receive the same gift as we had. Whether you like it or not, I'm not saying he's the first Pope. He's not the first Pope. Got it? But he was instrumental in the establishing of the first church to the point where, as David taught, they were even bringing up people so that the shadow of Peter could, could pass, could fall over and maybe they would get healed. Amazing thing. The advance of the church, real quickly here, against the gates of Haiti. Do you understand? People miss this, and I, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but this is really important to me. Okay? The advance of the church. This isn't a defensive statement. The gates don't move, gates are stationary. We're not worrying about defending ourselves. From Hades. We're storming the gates of hell. Do you get it? 
You're supposed to be on the offensive, not on your couch. It's hard to take the hill if you're sitting in the cafeteria. Wars are only won when you take the ground. A defensive war never gains you ground. Are you tracking with me on this one? It's the advance. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 talks about putting on the whole armor of God, right? But part of that armor of God is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. What is the shield of faith supposed to do for you? Quench all the what? The fiery arrows, the fiery darts of the wicked one, right? When do you have to worry about the fiery darts of the wicked one raining down on you? When you're storming the city. Not when you're sitting back eating, eating your popcorn and, and drinking your cocoa. He doesn't care. I promise you, the enemy doesn't care. But you go storming the gates of hell. You go storming the city. They're pouring tar down on you. They're firing fiery darts on you. And so you would take the shield and they would wet them down. And they would place them over themselves as they were undermining the foundations of the city. And as they were breaking through the wall of the city, and they would use their shields to protect them from the fiery darts that were being rained down upon them from above. Do you get it? Offense. Learn the gospel. I can't. Yes, you can. We talked about that Tuesday, huh? Romans 6.23. What does it say, Adis? Keep going. Amen. There you go. One verse, y'all. You can be the greatest witness God, the world's ever seen. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You don't need to know anything else. Now, continue to read the scriptures and continue to add things to it. It's good, okay? But the point is, that's it. It's a gospel in a nutshell. All you got to know is what God did for you. And you got to go out. Hey, by the way, Wednesday, we haven't gotten to announcement time yet, but Wednesday, we're starting going and knocking on doors again. You're invited. We'll be leaving at 6 o'clock. We get here by 5.55 so we can pray for just a few minutes. And then we head out, knocking on doors. You're invited to come. Say, but I yes, you can. I'm yellow-bellied chicken liver, and I am an introvert, and I don't like meeting new people. Okay? If you're new, sorry about that. Anyways, but it's just a reality. That's who I am. But I know in Christ, that's what he wants me to what? That's what he wants me to do. He wants me to go out. To go and make What? disciples speaking of that let's keep talking about that so we have the authority of peter i don't want to talk about this a whole lot but again he's the one who proclaimed the gospel and he's the one who <laughs> killed ananias and sapphira now i know it was god who did it but he god did it through who through peter and so he says to him you're going to have you're going to have the keys of the kingdom and 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 whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven Okay? And so now it's not just to him, but it also applies to the church. Okay? That statement was made by Jesus, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot because Chuck's going to talk about it a little bit next week from Matthew chapter 18, okay? about the authority that the church has as well. It's an amazing, powerful authority that we have been granted. Do you understand? It's not to be taken lightly. You have the, the, the power to bring people into heaven or condemn them to hell. Do you understand that? When you talk to people, you have the privilege of sharing life or sharing condemnation or just nothing, which is condemnation. So 
Discipleship, real quick, Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Evangelism is the first step of discipleship. Jesus said, go out and make what? Disciples. But you got to what? Go. And literally it says, having been sent. He already had sent them. He told, already told them to go when they were in the upper room. Now he comes to them and says, look, I've already sent you. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name singular of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's another one of those when we talk about the Trinity stuff. Okay? And then teaching them whatever things I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. How exciting is this stuff? So, but you got to go, and then you got to baptize them before you can teach them. Okay? So, David talked about that two weeks ago with the, 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 the whole idea of the, you go, you make a disciple, you get them baptized, right? And then you teach them. Colossians 1, 12, I don't have time to go into this, but it's a beautiful verse. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Do you get what went on there? There was a special forces moment. You were in that kingdom. You were in where the gates of hell were. You were living in that city. And he did a, he did a movement into that city and he grabbed you and he pulled you out. And he delivered you into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Don't you want to be Green Beret for Jesus? Delta Force for God. I want to be a seal for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to swim further than anybody can swim. I want to be able to hold my breath longer than anybody can hold their breath. I want to be able to endure greater pain than anybody can endure. No, I really don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. No, you do. do you get it? That's where I want to be, though. I do. I really do. I want to be that. Whatever is required to pull somebody from the gates of hell. People are dying all around you. And they're going to hell. And you got the words of life. What are you doing with it? Be not many teachers, such are the greater condemnation. What are you doing with the truth that you have? Stewardship. The church and believers have been given authority to share words of warning and to share words of life. 1 Corinthians 14, verse one, uh, 4, verse 1 and 2 says, The servants of God, Christ and stewards of the mystery of God is required in stewards that one be found faithful we have truth to whom much is given much is required you are a steward of this truth what are you doing with it are you getting fat dumb and happy are you are you going to pass the fitness test or are you just kind of with the word who is jesus to you what are you doing with the truth power and authority which christ has granted to the church but even more importantly to this series how are we as a church doing in our stewardship of that truth, power, and authority? You can say, okay, well, we know we believe that, that truth about Jesus. That's good. What are we doing with it? What, what, what are we doing with it? Whose church do you view this assembly to be? It's not mine. I, please, if anybody ever gets a feeling that this is Bob's church, you've got to let us know because it's not mine. I don't want it to be. For years I prayed for another elder because I didn't want it to be Bob's church. And I was excited when Steve agreed and then the church voted on him and he was voted in. I was pumped, absolutely pumped when David came and after a few years he agreed to become an elder. And after so many years of banging on Chuck, no, just messing, he finally retired. I'm so excited to have four elders. Does it make it rough sometimes? Sure it does. Because we all want what? Our own way. 
But when you have others holding you accountable, you don't always what? Get your way. But I don't want my way. I do, but I don't. And, I, and I, you know, it's like, oh, this is self-glorying. And I don't mean it this way. I want Jesus' way. I really want this to be his church. Don't ever allow this to become my church. In your own mind or in our doctrine. It's Christ's church. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you that you have given us the truth of who Jesus is. You are the one true God. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to worship you in the beauty of your holiness, how you desire to be worshiped. Lord, it's not about our singing. It's not about um, the eloquence of my speaking or not eloquence of my speaking, but it's about you. So help us, Lord, to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.